Hi, welcome to my very first episode of Soul Talk. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Abby Wagner, and I'm the host of this conversation piece. The, the point of Soul Talk is to get people to come together and share their stories, and hopefully we'll figure out that we have more in common as human beings than we realize. I decided to start this show because as an actor, I love listening to stories because the way I see it, you can't be a writer if you don't read, and I think that's the same thing for acting. And I honestly think a big problem of our society is we've forgotten how to listen to each other. So for this show, I'm going to interview people. I'm going to get people who are very different to talk to each other, and we're just going to jive and talk about this crazy thing called life. So today, my very first guest is my very good friend, Joshua T. Berglund. I'm going to be asking him about his journey into production, his mental health, his faith journey, and anything else that comes up. So, Joshua, you ready? <laughs> I didn't hear anything you just said. No? No, I was trying not to make you more nervous. Oh, wow. <laughs> Are you nervous? No. Of course not. <laughs> so this is my friend Joshua. You might already know him if you've watched his show, which you definitely should. <laughs> He's Thank staring you. at me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, so for my viewers who might not know much about you, could you briefly sum up your life in maybe a sentence or two? <laughs> my life from the day I was born right to today. <laughs> It's been a life of extremes, extremely good, extremely chaotic, extremely beautiful, extremely painful, extreme, okay. in every sense of the word. Okay, awesome. So tell me about some of the hardships you endured as a child and how you think that contributed to your OD and jail time. ODs and jail times. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Wow. Okay. So that's an interesting way to put that question. Cause I, you know, I mean, I was abandoned as a kid. Um, my sisters disappeared when I was young. I was molested by two. Men. How many sisters do you have? Two. Okay. Uh, they're half sisters, but they lived with us. And then one day they were gone. Yeah. And I thought it's, I don't know how our brains do this as humans, mm -hmm. but I interpreted the entire thing, um, as I wasn't worthy of love. I wasn't okay. good enough. Um, right after that, the physical abuse started for my father, being molested by two older guys, a uh, female babysitter. That happened, and then, uh, you know, and so all of that sounds painful, and it was, but honestly, my fear of telling the truth mm -hmm. probably had more to do with all the bad stuff I did than anything else because, you know, initially, I think we talked about this on our interview where my parents want me to, they're telling me to be honest. Yeah. And my mom was always consistent with that. Yeah. But then, well, we don't talk about what happened here last night. Yeah. We don't tell those things. And so then I learned how to keep secrets and hide. I kept the secrets of my abusers, not just my father, but the people that molested me. Okay. So learning how to lie taught me how to deceive. And so when eventually trying to protect my family and protect the people that hurt me because I was scared of what would happen, yeah. that turned into every time I thought I was gonna get in trouble, I lied. 
And so living a lie and then I just lost my identity and not knowing who I was and then dealing with the trauma and then developing multiple personalities. Yeah. All of that really contributed to it, but really it was just the void of truth that caused everything to spiral out of control. Okay. Such like a simple thing, the truth, but you know, it's much more important than you really think it is. It's everything. It's everything. Exactly. Um, tell me about your parents. I mean, you've kind of mentioned them, but mm. you know, what could you say about them and your relationship with them now? Or It's funny. I thought about my dad this morning for the first time um, in a long time, but my mom I talk to all the time. My mom is, I, I, I love my mom. It's, she is, she's loved me through it all. Yeah. Um, was there for me. She never quit praying for me. She never quit like sending me devotionals, even though I didn't want to read them. Like so annoyed at him, I'd be strung out, and I'd get the email, and I'm like, oh god. Um, and sometimes I wouldn't respond. Sometimes I would pretend that I read it, but nonetheless, she never gave up. Uh, she's also the woman that left me in jail, and that the last time, and that helped me is what contributed to me turning my life around. And how many times have you been to jail? Six. Six. Been arrested way more, but okay, okay. Uh, my father. My mom is, okay, so my mom is athletic. My mom is determined. Yeah. She was Mrs. America. She uh, was a you know successful model. And then when we lost everything, yeah. um, she went to work in real estate. And then she got really, really good and became successful at that. But my dad was taking all the credit. And so when my mom got the courage to finally leave my father, mm -hmm. my father told her, mm -hmm. you'll never be anything my father told my mother, you will never be anything without me. You'll never sell another house, blah, blah, blah. Well, my mom became one of the most successful realtors in Oklahoma history um, right after that. So my mom's a champion. Yeah. She's she's one of my biggest influences. My father was a rock star in the 60s. They had a couple, I say rock star. They had two top 10 heads. Oh, wow. Um, he was an entrepreneur. He... You say what? Has he passed? Yeah, he died okay. from... He died of... Oof, Pretty miserable death. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I'm able to look. He, he was very determined. He was like this. He was a farm boy, mm -hmm. turned rock star, turned entrepreneur. Turned, and he was uber successful. But then he made a lot of bad decisions. He got involved with a lot of bad people. And, and it's funny. He became an abuser. He was a cheater. He was all of these things. But ultimately, for all the reasons I hated him, I realized that I became just like him, but worse. Mm -hmm. But looking back on his life and as now for the last over five years since he's been dead, I've learned new levels of gratitude for him all the time. And I think about what I get to do now. Yeah. And so much of it is him. Okay. Uh, the performing side, I think I told you on the way up here that I'm starting to DJ yeah, now, yeah. and uh, which is just another thing I get to do in the world of entertainment. Yeah. But all of that really is from his DNA, because okay. he was a performer, he yeah. was a rock star, he's yeah. a businessman. And the other thing too about my father, he really loved misfits and outcasts the same way that I do. And he always, in his own way, found a way to help them. And I've got stories of people that were on the witness protection program from the mafia that he helped <laughs> and like some wild stories. And he was wow. always that guy. And that's what most people remembered him as, you know, he was a partier and he was a swinger and he did all of these other crazy things. Yeah. 
but really he did love to help people. So where do you think it changed for him? Ego for a man is a mother effer. Okay. Um, I know that he was abused. I know that he dealt with the stuff and you know, that generation didn't know how to deal, uh, at least to my knowledge, I, I, they didn't, it wasn't, men didn't talk about their feelings. Men didn't open up about being touched by other men. They didn't talk about those things. They, 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 they avoided it or they found a way to stuff it or they lived double lives. Mm -hmm. You know, he, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He just, yeah. he, he, he's a, he was a different guy, but look again, looking back at it, I can honestly say I'm grateful for all of it. And how did he pass? He died from melanoma and, uh, it absolutely he was very proud, very, determined very he had a huge ego but he got humbled big time mm -hmm. and it was really wild to see this man that was so proud go from to what he was to shuffling his feet not being able to, to say sentences well because he was having full-blown radiation to his brain like 20 something times a month to try to stop the cancer but and ultimately it killed him so you have a good relationship with your mom, you said. Very good, yeah. Do you ever think, I mean, maybe she didn't, but do you, did you ever resent her for maybe letting the abuse happen, or did she not know, or was there no way for her to stop it? She, so the sexual abuse she didn't know about okay. until recently. Okay. Um, the physical abuse from my father, she tried, she got in the way a lot. Okay. But, you know, I can't. Like, I don't know how many times she saw my dad, like, throw me against the wall, choking me and intimidate me. I know she saw the beatings that came from a belt and a board. And a lot of people went through that. I don't really classify that as abuse, even though that's looked at as abuse now. The abuse was being thrown around, choking, being intimidated, being gaslit, being told to lie, being, you know, I mean, that, that kind of abuse. Um, because I, I, I mean, just frankly, my go-to move to this day, like if I'm going to fight, yeah. I'm going to try to choke you. Do you fight a to lot? To kill you. Not anymore. Okay. <laughs> I did. But I mean, half the times I've been in jail for fighting. Right. Yeah. And every single time, it was my hands were around someone's throat trying to rip out their Adam's apple. It was my go-to move because it's what he did to me. And so when I would switch and go into that mode of protecting or whatever or violence mm -hmm. it was my go-to move okay <laughs> well moving on from that <laughs> i'm just kidding what are some of your favorite memories as a child <laughs> oh man um best memories ever were going to our homestead in oklahoma okay. um i like this question in the <laughs> um i don't like the miserable ones the uh Going to the farm growing up, blowing up fireworks, uh, you know, being able to shoot snakes in the pond. And we had this, our original land from the land run. All of my happiest childhood memories are there. Okay. Because that's when my whole family was still together. Yeah. It's, those were all, aunt, cousins, uncles, yeah. aunts, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, everyone. And the other was going to Red River, New Mexico mm -hmm. every summer. Uh, riding four-wheelers in the mountains, and it was just so much fun. We did it every summer for like 12 years. 
But again, it was all, it was my sisters were there, my brother was there, and uncle were there, it was all of us. So those memories to me are always my happiest. Oh, okay. Cool. Let me see, what else do I have for you? What's it like watching your life portrayed on screen? And how accurate would you say it is? The devil inside me? Yeah, I should have specified that, yeah. Oh, well, it'd be one thing if I was on a camera. Yeah. Um, but it's my voice. Mm-hmm. And it was real. Yeah. I mean, I had to physically and mentally go back to a place that I've tried to leave behind. Mm-hmm. So I relived all of it mm-hmm. by acting it out because yeah. I had to go there. The, mm-hmm. the ending of it, I mean, not only do you get to see all of my personalities on display, but the heartbreak and all of that stuff that's in it is was real. I mean, it, it took a lot out of Jessica and I both because she's the one that made the video. Yeah. I just voiced it. I mean, I wrote it too. Yeah. And when we published the book, but I, I really, I honestly thought we weren't going to survive it. It wasn't even that she listened to all of my exploits, all the bad things that I did. She knew all that stuff. Yeah. But mentally, I wasn't there. I wasn't Joshua, her husband. Mm-hmm. I had become that old person again yeah. for this. And it was tough on both of us. I triggered myself nonstop. Because, I mean, they, so there's an expression with believers, especially ones that know what hell's like, Mm -hmm. is to not go back into your grave. Because the whole concept of giving your life to Christ, for instance, is Mm -hmm. about a new life. It's about being reborn. Mm -hmm. And so, when you go back into your grave, it means you just go back to your old ways. Because the devil, the thing that we don't want to give into and serve, is at least not, I don't, and it it will always taunt you with your past, but it will never come up with something new because it's not creative like that. It doesn't have vision. So therefore, when you go back into your grave and you go back to your old ways, you basically re-agitate those demons to start attacking you again. I went back in my grave to make that book, to make that movie, and it wasn't fun. But it's every it was took everything to get back out of it. Mm-hmm. Because it's I just went and relit the nightmare. Mm-hmm. So you stay out of your grave by making the right decisions and not making the same mistakes that you made before because it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Even in even in my walk to be a better man and be more like what God, or to be what God created me to be, it, like you still make mistakes and you're allowed to make mistakes. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. You just want to learn from it mm-hmm. because then when you learn from it, then you have power over it. But if you don't learn, it has power over you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very powerful. Um, let me see what else I have. Got a couple more miserable questions, and then we're going to get happy. <laughs> I can handle miserable questions. Okay. Yeah. I just don't like, like them as much. <laughs> well, tell me about your first night in L.A. jail and your experience reading John. I did a little bit of my homework. I looked up in the show, and I read some of it. 
Um, the first night in jail, I was still high on yeah. an eight ball or two. I think it was two eight balls actually, because we did. Yeah, it was two eight balls. Uh, bottle of tequila yeah. at least, and uh, so the first night was I was numb. All I could remember really was how in, uh, being annoyed at the screams of the freaking crazy people next to me that I couldn't see but I could hear. Um, I, I the, the the whole processing part of it. I remember going to the first place when I was arrested, and because they they took me to one holding cell then to the big jail and it was a whole process but it was a nightmare because i remember these police officers taking photographs of me on their cell phone because i just i had crap beat out of me i'm high as a kite just a complete mess and they were like making fun of me and uh and taking pictures and and i remember thinking Oh, I'll tell them when I when I told the the booking people that at HIV, I thought it was going to give me special privileges, and well, that ended up being a nightmare, like going into isolation, like the whole, not like isolation as in um, when I say that I was in a cell by myself, super small, couldn't see anything around me, couldn't see out, um, but so it wasn't like uh, what do they call it when you go into the hole? I wasn't in the hole, but I was in isolation, and that was tough for me because I didn't like being alone. I was so codependent. Mm -hmm. um, but that first night, I was completely numb to the reality of what happened. It was the second night that I started to freak out, like okay. bad freak out. But, you know, the ending of that story is after five days mm -hmm. is when the miracle happened. Mm -hmm. but yeah, the second night, the second night is the most memorable. So what miracle happened? I got really pissed off at God. Mm -hmm. um, there was a second night, the cocaine had worn off, the alcohol had worn off, and then the reality of what have I done with my life? Like, I've been given every privilege you can imagine, every privilege. I mean, I grew up going to the country club, and yeah, I had bad stuff that happened, but like, I had privileges. I knew what success was, I was successful. Mm -hmm. I. I, I had, I got, I was able to live like a really amazing life, mm -hmm. even though I was a junkie and everything, all that. But I threw it all away. I threw away all of my gifts, everything I'd been blessed with. I threw it away. That reality hit me. So who? What did I do? I blamed God. I, I, I remember begging for something to read. They wouldn't give me anything to read. I asked. Um, I remember asking, the thought came to me to ask for a Bible and I, like they gave me a Bible, but it took hours. I mean, there's, I usually tell a funny story about it, but I've told it so many times I don't care anymore, but I remembered, and I think it was from watching prison shows as a kid, um, or Oz, I think it was Oz on HBO. And I was like, they have to give me a Bible. And they did. It came back hours later. I started reading it. And none of it made sense. Reading Genesis, I'm like, what the? This is so dumb. And I went to Revelation. Revelation's not the best thing to read in jail. Um, but then I went to Proverbs. And Proverbs is really, really easy to digest. And what it is, is just a, is a book of how to live, really. It's, it's a simple way to live. But in reading it, I realized I was doing everything wrong, the exact opposite of what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But it was reading John 
that opened my eyes. And I'd been going, I went to church my whole life, but I never comprehended any of it. It was reading John that I heard about Jesus in a way that I had never really heard it before. Again, I've heard it in church, mm -hmm. but it's different when you're reading it for yourself. Well, it started to open me up a little bit and break down some of this armor. I'm like, this Jesus person did this for me and it didn't make sense, mm -hmm. but it broke my heart enough to get pissed off and start cursing at God and just started screaming, why won't you fix me? Why won't you change me like everybody else? Mm -hmm. And for the very first time I heard from God, he said, you have to forgive your father. Well, how the, am I supposed to do that? Because it happened to him too. And I, I swear to you, it was like in that moment that I realized, and I said this at the very beginning, that I'd become just, I, not only had I become like my father, I was worse. Mm -hmm. All the things I hated him for, he hated me. Or everything I hated him for, I actually hated about myself. And, and in that realization helped me have enough compassion to realize that I didn't just need to forgive my father. I needed forgiveness from him because I made a mockery of his funeral. I showed up an hour late, high on cocaine, had freaking, well, basically an orgy the night before. Mm -hmm. uh, the girl I was with, it, anyway, the details don't matter. Um, but I showed up and like it was supposed to be there at 8 a.m. I didn't go to bed till 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. Showed up, pulled, rolled into the funeral at nine and I made a complete mockery of it. I wasn't there for him during, while he was dying. Didn't care about him. I just couldn't, I just, I wanted him to die mm -hmm. so I could get my inheritance, the money that I believe belonged to me and it just didn't care. But that realization that I needed forgiveness from him before I ever asked God to forgive me, I asked my dad to forgive me. And even though he was dead, even though I couldn't call him, I was like yelling, mm -hmm. Where, wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And then I asked God to forgive me and in asking God to forgive me. And like, I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew what I was called to do. Mm -hmm. And I you know, ran from it my entire life. And all I really said was, my life is no longer my own. I will serve you even if behind bars. I know what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. My life is no longer my own. Yeah. I surrender. And I swear to you, and I meant it, but I swear to you, I've never felt this sensation in my life. Um, I never felt this sensation in my life, but it was like I got had lightning shoot through my head and knock me on my butt and lift me up at the same time. Mm -hmm most supernatural experience I've ever felt in my life. And so, and I think that was done because I would never be able to question my faith yeah. because of that experience. Yeah. And I haven't been able to, every time I would want to question it, every time I get mad at God now, I, I can always remember that moment and how it truly, truly changed me. It didn't mean my work was done, yeah. but it changed me. So how would you say you've used that moment to live the rest of your life? Like, how has it been reflected in your life choices since that night? Well, the biggest, I would say the biggest thing for me was realizing that 
no matter what I was going to do to turn my life around, because I tried a bunch. I mean, I tried every religion, tried Buddha, tried, I didn't try Islam. Uh, <laughs> I probably would have if I would have kept going long enough. But um, the biggest thing was I was committed to doing the work. Because all, look, I want to simplify this for people that don't believe in Jesus or don't get it. Getting to know Jesus is really getting to know yourself. In the end, that's what it is. You learn to make loving choices for yourself. Like when you learn about Jesus, it's like you're, I swear to you, it's like the whole process of learning about Jesus. And yes, you're reading the Bible. Yes, you're praying. All it really does is reveal your true nature. That's it. Like, I don't know how it's that way. It just is. So it's not like I'm following myself. But the choices I make are almost like I'm Jesus. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to be like him, and in trying to be like him, I'm learning who I am, who I was called to be. And then in the same breath, I'm learning how to have this faith that doesn't even make sense. It's having a faith in the complete unseen and being cool. And understanding that the spiritual world that you don't see, well, some people can see it, but that world's actually more real than what we're seeing down here. And like you learn that through getting to know yourself because you clear out the space, you have the room for the spirit to directly speak to you in such a way that you don't see it, but you're seeing it. And then you're seeing like for me, everyone has a spiritual gift and, and in Christ, those spiritual gifts develop more. So then like what my spiritual gift is, seeing it in such a way that it is like it's a different reality. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty wild actually. So what's like the most interesting vision that you would say you've had? <laughs> Doesn't have to be like religious, just anything. It makes you smile or whatever. <laughs> Well, nothing I see makes me smile. Um, I get excited. Well, I know like every superhero, there's something there's, yeah. there's a form of, and I'm not, we're, we're all superheroes yeah. for the record. We all are. But for me, my gift is seeing what's possible mm -hmm. and the plan to get there. That's for people. Mm -hmm. It's disappointing most of the time because most people do not want to be who they were created to be. They want to be something else. So do you think you can tell what someone was made to be by meeting them? I can. You can? Most of the time. So what is it for me? What do you say? Um, let me finish the question first. Oh, my bad. <laughs> um, but I forgot what it was. Oh, wait, wait. So seeing what's to come, but the other thing, too, is I do see what's coming. You see what's coming. Okay. I've seen what's coming since I was seven. That's what I was running from. That's the that's the what I didn't want to do. That's what I was like, screw that. Like I just wanted to avoid it. But I kid you not, what's unfolding in the world today is what I remember seeing after I saw the Terminator when I was seven years old, going, that's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And and so like I can watch the news. I've never believed the news was real. 
but I, I can see things in a headline or a government website. I'm going, that's exactly what I saw as a kid. Oh my God, this is, it's happening. It's here. So those visions are a little scary because what I believe is coming is something that most people don't want to accept the reality of it. But for me, it's exciting. Um, to answer your question, um, and I don't, <laughs> I've curious. never, I've never asked God for a vision of you mm -hmm. ever. Cool. That's fine. So I don't, I don't have, if I ask for it, I will get it. Or sometimes <laughs> I get it where it's almost like it's a party trick. Okay. So cool. but it's typically what to see what happens, but I have not asked for a vision. Cool. Okay. But now I'm going to probably call you with one tomorrow. <laughs> so we'll have to revisit. This. Yeah. Let me know. Let me know. Okay. Um, this is kind of a extreme question. What would you say is the worst thing you've done and then the best thing you've done, or you could do best the worst either way. Wow. I've done a lot of bad stuff. I've committed crimes with CIA, this, a former CIA agent. Um, I've cheated, I've abused, I've made very irresponsible decisions, I've overdosed, I've, hmm. you know what, actually, uh, this is an easier answer than I would have thought, but robbing women of their intuition is the worst thing I've ever done. And I know it probably sounds like, what, you, I'm a, I was a criminal, but Hear me out. Being responsible for breaking someone's mental state down to a point through gaslighting, through narcissism, through abuse, um, robbing a woman of her intuition is basically taking a part of their identity because, or it's robbing them of their greatest gift. A woman's greatest gift is her intuition. A woman's intuition is what makes a man great in a family dynamic that intuition is what keeps you on the right track it's what keeps you focused it's what says no we shouldn't do that a woman's role to a man in a relationship is so crucial because i don't believe for a second that a man can be successful the right way on his own yeah there's there's he can go to certain levels but the role that a woman the one that's chosen for you, for me, or for a man, I truly believe that part of becoming one is becoming a whole complete person where you're able to almost see, it's the eyes in the back of your head, but also the eyes months from now. It's the intuition to go, this is not the right person in our relationship. We need to avoid this. Now, obviously, there's other factors that can get in the way of that, but an a woman's intuition is her greatest gift, I think. I absolutely do. Now, of course, there's mental health issues that you can go, there's PTSD, but part, that's part of what I'm talking about. That trauma that's done to a woman to rob her of her greatest gift, to me, it was the biggest crime because I did it to everyone trying to protect my own lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that women recover from that. I really, I mean, it's, it's, it's basically doing the same thing that was done to me, but worse. Yeah. I mean, I think it's worse than physical abuse. I think it's worse than cheating. 
making a woman doubt her intuition, make her doubt herself, mm -hmm. because then you remove her confidence. And then when you remove her confidence, then she becomes prey for other people. So the healing journey that they have to go on to heal, to get right, to believe in themselves, to have that confidence again, it's a painful journey. And not everybody has the courage to do the work. Like I had the courage to do the work. Doesn't make me better. Mm -hmm. It was just like I knew I had a choice. It was die or do the work. And I did. And I pray, I pray that the, the people that I've hurt got the courage to, to do the work to heal because some of the stories that I heard of some of my exes in the past mm -hmm. of what they were doing after made me sad. Mm -hmm. And I, cause I took responsibility for some of that. Makes sense. Yeah. What's the best thing that you've done? I give my life to the Lord because I learned who I was mm -hmm. and became confident in that. And because of that, I've been able to, you know, disassociative identity disorder, which is multiple personality disorder. Um, it's hell. It's, there's no other way to put it. It's, it's not easy. And, and there's no cure for it. They say I've been through like exorcisms and like, it's called deliverance, but it's the same thing. And, um, you know, like I've been able to take each of my altars on healing journeys and, and I can, I'm successful now. I have a happy marriage. I've got two beautiful kids. Mm -hmm. My oldest daughter's back in my life mm -hmm. and like my life is good and I've got amazing things going yeah. for me in all areas that I'm working on yeah. that I, that all, all the areas that I work, it's been great, but it all started with giving my life to the Lord and then the, the, the decision to continue to pursue him. Yeah, that that was the best decision because it's then now allowed me to live. Yeah. It's allowed me to have everything I lost restored. Yeah. OK, so how did you meet your wife? Facebook, Facebook. OK, she messaged me. Um, I remember getting the message is right before COVID started. And I got a message from her and she wanted to she had to be on Facebook. She sent me a message and she wanted to chat sometimes. She wanted to pick my brain. Okay. And it was totally professional. Mm -hmm. um, it was all work, but I was really blown away with the questions she asked me. I was like, this girl's different. <laughs> but that's exactly how we met. And then after a couple months of talking, um, I, I remember Fe February 30th, I'm sorry, February um 13th she messaged me and said hey so um i'm gonna be here for the weekend mm -hmm. and uh i'm gonna come meet mm -hmm. so i got a plane ticket that night flew in for valentine's day two years ago mm -hmm. and that was the very first time we met wow. and we've been together ever since that's awesome so you met through your love of you know create was it work related you said like mm -hmm. your creation you're producing it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it, just creating in general. Yeah. Because she wasn't necessarily, she wasn't, actually, she wasn't at all. She was doing more of the marketing okay. stuff. Okay. 
but she was interested in what I was doing and how it all worked and connected. And so her curiosity drew me to her because mm. I can appreciate curiosity. Okay. So speaking of that producing and creating, like why did you get into producing and creating in this whole thing you're doing now? Like, what was that decision like? It wasn't a decision. Okay. You knew. No, oh. <laughs> no, actually, um, I had a skincare line. Mm -hmm. I just moved to LA. I had, had an opportunity to uh, sponsor the ESPYs mm -hmm. and be, be a part of the gift bags that went out to mm -hmm. all the people there. And uh, when I was there, I noticed some things were a little bit out of place. Yeah. And instinctively, and I've never done anything like this before, but I just noticed like areas that needed me to step up and mm -hmm. get involved. And they didn't, I mean, no one asked me to, I just did it. Yeah. It was through that that I got invited to another event, another yeah. event, another event because I just showed up. So I, I fell into it. Like it was just that I was given. I kind of gave myself the job unofficially and then it became official when I started being asked to be a part of other events. That's great. That's so cool. And it, oh, I mean, it opened the, the heavens, so to speak, for me. It was amazing how it happened. Wow. That's so cool. That's like so inspiring. <laughs> well, now on a little more lighthearted note, this is a time of the show where I'm going to call favorites. I'm still working on it. It's just, um, I'm going to ask you about your favorites and we're going to okay. converse. Um, what's your favorite movie and why? Well, I don't really have a favorite movie uh, really. Um, because I don't have the I, I, the movies I watch I'll I've seen ninety times. <laughs> I love The Godfather. Yeah. It is a complete. It's a it has multi, There's multiple family dynamics about mm -hmm. it. So the personal family, then the mob family. Um, there's there's so much at, at at stake and at play in that film. It's it's like I'm just drawn to it every yeah. time I watch it. Uh, Godfather two the same way. You know, and it, it's such a guy thing to say this, but Goodfellas even. I love that movie. It's so, it's so good. <laughs> and, you know, and then I have like, there's movies like Love Affair. Yeah. And I don't even know why with uh, Warren Beatty and I forgot the other lady's name. Like, I don't know why I love that movie. I don't know why I love Juno. <laughs> so, but those are movies, if they're on, I'm going to watch them every time. Yeah. But I'm not really a movie guy. I don't okay. I, I don't have the attention span for it. No, I get that. I definitely get that. I have not. I have yet to finish The Godfather, to be honest. It's long. I'm, I want to finish it some point in my life. I just, I need stamina. Yeah. Um, favorite color? Black. Black. Ooh. I'm colorblind, so it's easier to match. Oh, I forgot you are colorblind. Yeah. Well, I keep forgetting that. I was like, I know. I just met someone who's colorblind, and I forgot that it's you. Um, favorite food? Food. Mm -hmm. I, I'm seriously like, I mean, so where I grew up, Mexican food and barbecue. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I like it. Who doesn't like Italian? But Mexican food and barbecue mm -hmm. and even Asian food, I could eat yeah. every day of the week. Yeah. So I don't really have a favorite. I just like to eat. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only reason I work out. <laughs> yeah. That and so I don't kill people. But I mean, I, <laughs> I love that. A favorite season and why? Los Angeles weather. <laughs> I mean, so I've always moved to beach towns. Yeah. But here's the thing. I I don't like it when it's too hot. 
Oh, I hate it. 70 is too hot for me. 70 is? Yeah. Oh, you're... I've been dying these past few weeks. So this is this has been hot. Yes. But I also cannot stand the cold. Oh, really? Yeah. So Minnesota spring and Minnesota um, fall is the best to me. Yeah. I, I love that. And I'm new in Minnesota, but yeah. it's... Those are my two favorite seasons, but then other than that, yeah. give me Southern California weather any day. Give it to me over uh, <laughs> over Hawaii's weather, Costa Rica's weather, <laughs> Florida's weather, Southern California's weather to me, perfect. San Diego is the ideal, and that's all. They don't have four seasons there, but yeah. like when they have the overcast season, yeah. when it's overcast every day, yeah. like I, I like that. So what was your first Minnesota winter like? It wasn't as bad as I as I thought okay. because it's negative. You know, negative twenty sounds really, really yeah. bad, but it would be different if it was a wet cold. Yeah. It's a dry cold, so it's yeah. not as miserable. Yeah. As I thought, but okay. it still sucks. Yeah, I mean, I love it, but yeah, I. It's I, too I, much snow. I feel bad for people who come like for Minnesota the first time and they're like completely blown away by winter. Like I feel bad for them. <laughs> uh, but like then again, like when Texas was so cold, I was kind of laughing at them because they're like, how do we shovel? And I was, I felt bad laughing, but <laughs> I was like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, what's the favorite place you've been to and why? It could be a state, a country, anything. Costa Rica is amazing. Costa Rica. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I backpacked the country with my second ex-wife. Okay. Uh, and we went during the rainy season. <laughs> so much fun. I remember hotel room flooding with rain because it was open. Yeah. Um, that was neat. That was a fun experience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Costa Rica is like an adventurous. If you're lucky adventure, mm -hmm. Costa Rica is the jam. I want People to are so nice and yeah, it's cool. But I have pretty bad arachnophobia, so. I don't know how that would fare for me. <laughs> yeah, there's some big ass spiders. Yeah, I like I like <laughs> snakes, I like reptiles, but I can't with spiders. <laughs> so um, I kind of already asked you this about your favorite memory, but it doesn't have to be a childhood memory this time. Just you know, I don't remember. I've I've done a lot of really yeah exciting things. Yeah, but. I mean a lot. I have okay, I have memories good. that I have memories that of things that just don't even seem real. Yeah. But if I was being honest, the memories that I, I'm making like this summer with because the girls are here yeah. all summer. Yeah. Everything with them, there's so much more substance yeah. than what I've the joy I've experienced on my own. Yeah. I see why people fall into the trap of living through their kids. Yeah. Because I'm watching Charlotte right now teach herself how to be a ballerina. Aww. And she works at it on her own. Don't know where it came. I asked her today. <laughs> where, like, where did you learn this TV? She's like, ah, no, just practicing. Where did you learn to practice? And, 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 and watching Brinley become like a 40-year-old woman trapped in a six-year-old's body. And, like, and how she sees life and, and her appreciation and... We have these conversations sometimes that I think I'm talking to a 40 year old and like, and I'm, I leave those. Wow. I, the joy and the pain that comes from being a parent, mm -hmm. like it makes me sick that I wasn't there for my other kids, mm -hmm. but
But now, like that to me is those are my happiest memories because they, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's about that. Yeah. Or it's about it's about them is yeah. what I mean. Okay. Favorite Disney movie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what what's a Disney like? What name a Disney movie? Lion King. Never saw it. No. Not not the one. Not the n- no. Okay. <laughs> no, I haven't seen it. That's okay. Um, Little Mermaid didn't see that. You know, I like. I was like, I think the last real Disney movie I watched probably involved Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that'd be old school, but I don't even remember. I watched, I liked infomercials when I was growing up. I've never been a big cartoon fan. Okay. I mean, I watched South Park. Right, right. But I mean, I wasn't really a cartoon kid. Okay. Uh, favorite musical? Um, oh, wow. I saw um, The Producers mm. in New York. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Yeah. Um, there was another one I saw. That, I saw a few. Rent. Oh, or was it Rent? Yeah. Rent's good. But I, I, I think that the producers is the one I like the most. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen a ton. Yeah, it's all right. Um, favorite music? Like maybe favorite song, favorite genre, favorite artist? Favorite song, World Hold On by Bob St. Clair. Okay. Sun is Shining um, by Bob Marley, which is there's a house remix. Mm-hmm. I like Uppity Beats. Mm-hmm. And. So, I mean, I could listen to hip-hop and things like that, mm-hmm. but really, I listen to house music pretty much all the time. Like, even when I listen to gospel work music, I listen to house gospel house. Yeah. I just like the beat. That's the same way. Like, when I listen to music, I don't really listen to the lyrics. I just kind of listen to the music about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, half the time, I feel like artists these days don't know how to articulate their words, so I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I usually just listen to the music more than anything. Um, this is an odd one, but favorite crime? Mm. Man, trafficking is the most interesting to me. Um, not, well, I mean, because tra- trafficking can be anything. It could be humans, it could be drugs, it could be diamonds, it could be, but all of the steps that have to take place for it to work mm-hmm. are amazing how they cover up, how they hide their trail, how they, you know, they're utilizing the dark web, how they hide things in plain sight. And that there's a law mm-hmm. or something about, because we are conditioned to see certain things, but we're not conditioned to see others. So crime hides in plain sight all the time. Evil hides in plain sight all the time. And when you learn like how, what symbols are, mm-hmm. You start to recognize them in corporation logos and stuff like that. So a lot of the crime that happens is just sitting right there for everyone to see, and they have no clue. Fascinated with that. Because that's what is allowed human trafficking to go on, because they don't communicate the way that normal people communicate. Sometimes it's through symbols. Sometimes it's through a press release, and you see one word. It's it's really, really fascinating. Okay. So... Yeah. yeah, trafficking, I guess. Yeah. But I'm into all of it. Yeah. Cybercrime. 
Yeah, I think mine is like the type they did in Goodfellas, like how smart you have to be to do it. Which crime? Because they were doing a bunch. I think for me, like I, I mean, I know he did a lot of mess up shit, but I love Henry Hill. I love his wit, like the way that he had like an underground cocaine business successfully, and he like hid it from his mob and from the FBI. Like that's bad bitch energy. Yeah, but now you can't get away with it. Now you can't get away now with you it need, now. Now you need, the, you need the dark web. Yeah, you need it. But I think for what he was doing with his resources and his time, like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Okay, great. So now is a quick little conversation section. So just to kind of talk about some random things. that I just love asking random questions. Please. What are five countries you want to travel to and why? London, England, Sydney, Australia, Tokyo, Japan, um, I've been to Mexico City and it's amazing. Paris. Paris. Um, wait, there's another one. There's one. I said Sydney, Australia. Yeah. I said Tokyo. Tokyo, Japan. Yes. I said Paris. And London. London. So one more. Oh, 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 easy. Uh, South Africa. Yeah. And it's it's really the same because I've never been there. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I feel drawn to go there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've always, I'm, I'm fascinated with those cultures. Africa is the motherland. So really, right. really it's more, my list is bigger than that, but I was just trying to yeah, get my yeah, favorite ones. But it's all the same reasons. Like I just feel drawn yeah. to be there. Like yeah. I belong there, I have a reason to be there. Yeah. And, and, and so yeah, that, there, I can't give you specific reasons no, why, okay. like the oceans, the beaches. <laughs> Because I don't know if I would appreciate it that way. Because I've, I mean, like Costa Rica and like you, I lived on some of the nicest beaches yeah. in the world, and so like that's not so much it. I think it's like I just feel like I belong there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Tell me about a lesson you've learned about people in your life, like. I think people are so fascinating, like something that you've learned. I mean, as an actor, you you like to watch their behavior and mimic them. And there's lots of interesting phenomenons I think humans have. Like for me, I've learned that most of the time in life, if you need something and you ask for it right, you're going to get it. Yeah. That's what I've learned. Usually you have to just ask for what you want. You know, this I I don't know because I I mean that gosh dang that's a really good question that's a really good question because I don't even know how to answer it the oh my god you stumped me I you know I I think oh this is the, to me the most obvious yeah people fear things they have no business fearing mm -hmm. like the truth yeah. We keep secrets, and those secrets really are just poison for us. Mm -hmm. Like they say, the truth will set you free for a reason, and it's not. You don't even have to use that from a biblical stance because there's more depth to that statement. But you set yourself free because mm -hmm. then you have nothing to fear. Like when I found courage in the truth, mm -hmm. all the bad stuff I did, mm -hmm. all the stuff that people worry about judgment. I admitted all of it publicly over and over and over again <laughs> to the point that now it's not a big deal. Yeah. Now, it's not a big deal because there's no weapons that people have to use against me. Yeah. If it's a secret, then someone can weaponize it. Yeah. But when it's not a secret, it's not. 
So I watch a lot of people suffer mm-hmm. and they have no reason really to suffer because yeah. they fear something that's not even real. Yeah. That's so interesting. This is, uh, what's a skill that you think you have or something that you're specifically good at that you think more people should have? Like an interesting skill you have. Hmm. I don't, well, because I look, Listening. Yeah. I was going to say, because I don't think we should all ever look for people to be anything but who they really, really yeah. are. But the, one of the most basic things, mm-hmm. if people just shut up and listen, like everyone has an opinion now. Mm-hmm. Everyone is a narcissist now. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're a narcissist if you're on social media. It's almost impossible to not be a narcissist to some degree on social media. Do you ever get upset about how many likes you have? Do you ever get upset? Do you ever post things to get attention? Like, it's it's brought out the word. Now, for all, there's a lot of benefits to it, and I love technology. But, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think we've all become narcissists. Um, what was the question? I lost my train. <laughs> I just asked if there was something that you think you're pretty good at. Oh, yeah. listen. Yeah, you're pretty good. So, one of the things that... Well, I mean, you have to listen to act, right? And not that I really care about being a great actor. It's just like <laughs> something I get to do. Um, but so many of the people that are upset right now and that all of these extremes that are coming out that, you know, where people now are apologizing for being white and, you know, we're celebrating all of like the 95th sexuality that's come out or the 95th gender that's come out. Like there's just all of these things. And really all it is is people wanting to feel accepted but really, this would have all never happened if we could just shut up and listen. Because some people have been suppressed. Women have been suppressed and held down in the industry we're in forever. Women deserve to be heard. Now, it went to an extreme for a little bit, but then it settled back in. Because people, like with the Me Too movement, it went really extreme, but it's come back. But women are at least being heard more. We're progressing there. African-Americans, gay people, so uh, Asian population. They've been suppressed. Like, white man's had it good for a long time. Women, women have had it tough across the board forever. Because men, I believe, were given a position by God, but they didn't honor it. The family, for instance, men, I believe we are to provide for women. I believe that we are to provide for the family. I believe that we are the head of the household. However, when you factor in men in the you know 50s and 60s, like that, we're you know you better have my dinner ready by six. But then the man doesn't come home till ten because he went to happy hour after work because he felt like he deserved a drink, and so those drinks turn into multiple drinks. Then those multiple drinks turn into cheating, and then you you're not honoring your wife, or you come home stressed out with work and you don't pay attention to your wife. Who's been who's been taking care of the kids in the house all day? I'm talking about back then. Yeah. We neglected our responsibility. We took advantage of our position. We took advantage of the authority that we had. Therefore, women said, "Well, screw this. I don't like this anymore. Mm-hmm. I want my independence." And and they had every right to do that. Every right to do it. And I don't look at women and go, "You need to be home raising the babies." I don't believe that. But I do believe. When you're bringing children into this world, you know what? 
the woman is the absolute best person to teach that child. You are equipped and trained. It's like in your DNA to know how to be a mother. Now, women don't have to choose that, choose that route, or they don't even have to accept the fact that they want to be a good mom. But what I am saying is this originally, the dynamic started for men to lead and women, and it doesn't lessen the woman's role. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that man left the home. Man broke his covenant with the house, with God. And because of that, we have a disarray. There's an attack on families right now in this world. Because if you sever, you remove the man from the home in a, in a family dynamic, you can look at the statistics, look at the African-American communities and what's happened there. Because to, to statistically, more African-American men are absent from that home than it is for Caucasians. This is not a white or black thing. I'm just saying that a dynamic, but so much of it too has to do with those, those men being incarcerated because they weren't given an opportunity to succeed. They weren't given a fair shot. They didn't get away with some of the crimes that white people did. I should be still in jail, but I did way worse stuff than half. Like I know a lot of people in jail still or prison. They did less, like way less than I did, but I got away with it. That's not right. So that wasn't an attack on race when I said that at all. It's not. But when you remove those men from the home, the whole dynamic, because a woman can't do a man. I mean, so I know a lot of women that do both jobs, but it's hard and it's not easy. And when you're only one set of eyes trying to raise kids, guess what? Kids are going to get away with some stuff and kids getting away with stuff because kids naturally push the boundaries and kids get away with stuff. They start trying drugs. They start doing other things. And guess what happens? Then they become as adults, the same thing that their absent father did. I was just shared the story of my father. I became exactly like him. I did all the same crap he did, but worse. But guess what? Broken homes, broken home, broken home, broken home. That's stability. Kids see that. So then they learn from what they were taught from their parents. And then they creates this cycle. But each with each cycle, it gets worse and more destructive until someone steps up and stops the cycle and begins the healing. So I, I remember, I forgot where we, the, what the original question That's is because okay. I went on a tangent. That's but okay. that dynamic is the family unit is everything. And that's going to become more and more and more apparent to everybody when crap hits the fan. Like when there's a cyber attack that basically blacks out all the internet and electricity and all that stuff, and there's food shortages, where are you going back home to? Your family, right? You're not going to be able to be on social media talking into your friends or being an influencer. You, some people won't even be able to leave their house. What's your family unit like? Your family is everything. And so, but staying in that dynamic is key. And look, this is not a bash against, I mean, what, I, have, I have a gay, gay altar, I have a bisexual altar, I have a straight altar, and I have an asexual altar. And then I have a demon. Um, so like, this isn't a knock on sexuality or any of that stuff, but the family dynamic, it really was for a man and woman family. I believe that with all my heart. Okay. There is a reason why men, two men can't have babies, is my point. Okay. They can have all the sex they want, I don't care. It's not, none of my business. 
Um, I don't know how to transition into my next question. Just ask. <laughs> well, with that, um, something I feel like you and I kind of had this conversation off camera. We're both in the film industry in one way or another. Yeah. It's changing. Fast. Where do you think it's going? And is it a good path? Well, there's an opportunity right now to rewrite the rule book. And I'm excited about that. I don't think that the movie theaters will come back the way that we know them. Mm -hmm. I think the immersive media is the future. Mm -hmm. So people got used to Zoom calls or broadcasts like this. Right. Well, with immersive technology, which is not just a run-of-the-mill StreamYard-like technology, but it allows monetization to happen in multiple ways while being visually appealing to the audience, while also creating communities and and engagement in a new way, but also product placement evolves and changes with this. So I think that where we're going with events, with even TV shows and and with movies is where they kind of start to blend together and almost start to look the same. And, but the capabilities are so incredible. It's a global market now where you're not, you know, it's not, we're launching this in 15 theaters in New York City, LA, Dallas. Everything will become global. Movies will be available at home, like right away. Mm-hmm. But the way that filmmakers will mon- be able to monetize because the technology allows it is it, that's going to be pretty revolutionary. I, I do hope that theaters stay around because that experience is great. But I really believe it's a, it's all going to be it's going to be about immersive media until we are actually able through technology, which is coming pretty quick, to put ourselves in that movie to play that role on our own, like a choose your own adventure movie. Do you remember those choose your own adventure books, where it's like you can read to page five and it says if you want to do this, go to page da da da, and if you want to go here, go to page da da da, and you literally the book. It's not an order like a traditional book. You choose your yeah. own adventure. So that book is different each time. Yeah. I believe with AI, we'll have the ability to be in the movie ourselves. I think that's so interesting when in, in the concept of people wanting to go into the industry. I feel like, and, and what I mean is if you can put yourself in the movie, I think, and you're the character, like I'm, I've been watching a lot of Avengers. So if I put myself in the movie and, you know, Black Widow just came out. So if I put myself in as Black Widow and I'm here and I'm fighting with Iron Man and Captain America and I'm a character, I think a lot of people who think they want to go into it, I think that's going to learn very quickly if that's something you want to do or if you're just doing it to be famous. I don't know. That's true. That's just something I think about. Like, <laughs> Well, where we are going, it doesn't matter what business you're in. Yeah you have to start looking at yourself as a media organization because if you think about it media is the most powerful medium in the world so if it's up here then and you're looking down because media is films it's tv it's radio it's podcast but there's the marketing side of it there's product placement there's hair and makeup there's still all those factors it's all intertwined Mm -hmm. but media is the giant umbrella to it all it over, I remember being on set for the Super Bowl commercial a couple of years ago um, for the, the NFL commercial I was in. And I remember being there going on set, it was de- the LA studios, downtown LA studios, going, 
there's like 60, 65 businesses being supported just for this commercial. 65. So what happens if I view myself as the commercial? In other words, that means, so instead of looking at it as 65 businesses or, or it allowed me to see that I could be the center of the universe, so to speak, and those 65 businesses could be my businesses. Now I have 65 businesses because I'm thinking from media down. So if you're looking at what's on the screen is monetizable, so now I'm in the t-shirt business, I'm in the hat business, I'm in the camera business, hair and makeup business, I'm in the cosmetics business, any, anything and everything. And then you have producers, you have editors, you have all of this, books. So everything was about how many different revenue streams can I create? Thinking like the media. You think about what ABC, Disney is doing. They have a sports division. They have family division. They have cartoons. They, that's a lot of businesses. So now all of a sudden, all of those things that you imagine can become reality in a business for you if you think as media. So the only way that we're going to stay ahead of robots, and they're coming, they're already here, but the only way that we're going to stay ahead of the AI is by thinking as a media organization. Because if you can operate as a media organization, then you don't need, you're not looking for a job, you are the job that's providing for other people. And as long as you can do that, that means you're not dependent on the government. That means you're not dependent on, like a computer can't take your job because you're the one doing it. Now, I can use AI as a tool, but I'm not letting AI use me. And that's where we're going because where we're going is, uh, it's not gonna be pretty for humans because humans don't win this one. So, in other words, start learning media. And if you don't know, that's what I'm for. That's what I know how to do. And I know everything I'm saying sounds absolutely yeah. insane, but um, you've heard the expression, truth is stranger than fiction. Truth is definitely stranger than fiction. Well, with that, that's all the questions I have. Really? <laughs> is it good? Really? Yeah, first time. Thank you. Thank you for driving with me. <laughs> <laughs> Did that freak you out? No, it was very fascinating. It probably offended you a little bit, huh? No, I, I where, where, where did you offend me? <laughs> the women comment? No, I think everything you said is true. I, I'm curious though, your generation, mm -hmm. you're not from, I'm from a generation, because I'm 42, you're 21? 19. 19. <laughs> so basically I'm over 20 years older than you. Mm -hmm. And so I, what you've seen in your world growing up mm -hmm. is way different. You're a post 9-11 world. Yep. I was before 9-11. Yep. So I'm used to seeing a different world. However, I was seeing what was coming now. Mm -hmm. But the roles that women play in this world were so much different then. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong it, it, because it's, it's a lot of women had to go to work. A lot of women chose to, and I, God bless you for that. And I, and the women that are able to hold it down where they are doing the man's responsibility. And to me, 
Like there's nothing more admirable than that. Um, it's just that I guess what I'm really trying to say with that comment was men messed up. Men took advantage of the, the role that they were chosen by God to play mm -hmm. and they screwed it up. So now we have a mess on our hands. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm glad it didn't offend you. Because my mom worked and she that's what saved us because my father made bad decisions, got involved with the mafia. I remember, I don't know if I told you this, but I was escorted to school by bodyguards. Like when we went out in public, we had bodyguards with us because my dad got kidnapped and was beaten to hell. And he decided that he was going to testify against the mob guy that did it. He disappeared. When he disappeared, like all kinds of crap happened. It was insane. My mom, that's when we ended up losing everything. My mom stepped up. My mom became the breadwinner. Did your dad ever come back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came back, and he got back on his feet and became successful again. But he did it the right way. He had to do it the hard way. He went through hell to get there, but he made it happen. But it wasn't easy at first. I mean, it, it, it sucked. But he didn't do – he neglected my mother. He abused my mother. He cheated on my mother. So he lost everything because of it. God doesn't like it when men mess with – Women especially, but when it's a wife and that covenant is made, it is a curse for a man to not honor his covenant. I know because freaking I've dealt with those consequences because I did it. So anyway. All right. So we're done? Yeah. Do you have a closing statement to say goodbye to your audience? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed listening to what Joshua had to say. Um, if you have any suggestions for what you want to see, or if you want to come on, I'd love to have you. Thanks for driving. <laughs>